this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Hi, this is Linus Wilson. I am pleased to have Sailing SV Delos, Brian Brady, and Karen as our guests for this episode 33 of the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. I'm a few weeks away from rejoining the boat in Hiva Oa in the Marquesas, and one of the pieces of gear that I am very confident in is my Mantis Anchor. I recently spoke to Philip Cutson of Mantis Anchors, and he explained why the Mantis Anchor works so well. Why, why does the Mantis Anchor set quick and others don't? Um, well, we have all, a lot of the weight of the anchor directed right onto the nose, uh, so like a sharp sharp knife, throw it in the hard pack sediment, you'll stick. So that's what we did. We gave it a sharp blade and a lot of weight on the tip. Mantis Anchors is a long-term sponsor of Slow Boat Sailing and our first corporate sponsor on Patreon.com. So I got the new mainsail, and I've just been checking to make sure that I think it'll fit, and I think it will. I got back the, the repaired autopilot from Ray Marine and I got another type of autopilot and so hopefully I'll have at least one or two backups uh, in case the autopilot ever goes out again. I you know I don't think I'm gonna have any passages longer than 12 days which was how long it took for uh, the the second Ray Marine wheel pilot to go out. So I'm not too worried about that. This summer's plans are that I leave Hivaoa, cruise the Marquesas, and I was thinking I'd stay in the Marquesas, but I'm kind of leaning towards going to Tahiti and hauling out in Tahiti at the end of the summer. Uh, One benefit of being in Tahiti is that it's easier to fly into Tahiti. You don't have the connecting flight. The other is that, uh, you know, I just get a little nervous about not making any westing. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things when you sail it around the world, the numbers will kill you uh, that uh, it's over 20,000 nautical miles to get around the world, but it's probably closer to 25,000 minimum. And, you know, if you're not making any westing, then uh, you're, you're never going to get around. That being said, I think I'm ahead of schedule. I did do those 3,500 nautical miles of westing over December, so I don't feel like I have to accomplish a lot this summer. I also think French Polynesia, the consensus is that it's the most beautiful islands in the world and everybody's favorite stop. Well, not everybody, but I think a lot of people uh, really liked French Polynesia and would have stayed longer had they not been rushing across the Pacific. Since I don't have to rush across the Pacific, since I don't have visa problems because I'm going to be there for less than three months at a time, uh, I'm not under the gun like most world cruisers. So I'm going to play it by ear. Uh, Jan has not booked the, the flight from Tahiti to whatever island I'm going to pick her and Sophie up at uh, in early July. So uh, we have a little bit of flexibility and we have some time to think about that. I'll, I'll see how the boat looks, how I feel, how I like 
cruising the Marquesas and, you know, if I decide that I want to go to Tahiti or I want to haul out in the Tuamotus at, say, Aputaki, uh, I may do that. Tentatively, I would say I'm leaning towards definitely seeing, say, three or four islands within the Marquesas, then stopping at Fakarava on the way to Tahiti. But it's possible I stay in the Marquesas, don't go to the Tumotus. It's possible that I would pass the entire Tumotus and go straight to Tahiti uh, this summer and uh, cruise the Society Islands instead. You know, I'm not very hot on visiting the Tumotus. I think it offers a lot of challenges, especially if you don't have a lot of crew and my leaning towards Fakarava is it seems to be one of the easier islands to access and it's also one of the the least remote of the Tuamotus. So Wizard's Eye Captain Tyler Brandt and also of the Wizard's Eye YouTube channel professional kayaker and episode 16 guest uh, recently completed his circumnavigation and Tyler, you know, holds a special place in my heart because his video at the end of his first season was really one of the first sailing vlogs I had ever seen. And it showed his boat being hauled out in Fiji. And had I not seen that video, I probably would have never wrote or never envisioned how to sail around the world part-time. Tyler has been doing a part-time circumnavigation and he did it in five years and good on him. You know, I think a lot of people get mixed up ideas and that stops them from doing the long distance cruises of their dreams. But Tyler never was confused about what he was out there doing. He was never confused that sailing around the world was an outdoor adventure challenge and boy he knocked it out of the park a guy that had never sailed before basically cast off the dock lines and sailed 3,000 miles to the Marquesas and kept on going and did it in a great time uh, on a great boat and a great YouTube series and you should check out that so the slow boat sailing YouTube channel has been doing great I think since the the last podcast I think we topped a thousand subscribers over that period and we've had one vlog with the offshore trip with Sophie and Jana episode 12 released during that period and a couple of top 10 lists and uh, I recently came out with a, a video about sailing drone crashes. So I bought a, a Phantom 3 drone and a lot of my friends uh, who I've worked with, such as the crew of SV Delos and Bobby from Sailing Doodles, who will be our episode 34 guest, and also the folks from Kraken Kiss Sailing Adventures, they recently crashed their drones off their sailboats and talked about them in recent videos. And, uh, you know, I wanted to collect best practices for that. So 
check out the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. I, the, you know, I think the other thing that was a big milestone for the channel was that the YouTube channel uh, had now has more views than the the podcast is downloads. Although the podcast is also becoming much much more popular uh, with more downloads per episode. Uh, but I'm really happy that uh, both those mediums are, are doing so well. We'll have episode 13 of the vlog series, the season finale as me, Sophie, and Jana cross the equator and reach our final port of season one. That season finale of Slow Boat Sailing will be released on the first Thursday of May, May 4th at 5 p.m. Eastern New York City time. And I'm releasing all the round the world vlogs on the first Thursday of the month at 5 p.m. New York City time on YouTube slash Slow Boat Sailing. Here is the interview with Brian Brady and Karen of Sailing SV Delos. So thanks for coming on the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. It's great to talk to you guys again. I was really impressed by your last season and really impressed by your new season. And they both have very different looks to them. Last season, you guys crossed the Indian Ocean. And what we went through the stops in the, the last interview. What was your longest offshore passage with that? What was the longest in terms of CMOT? For last, for last season, you mean? Yeah. Uh, I believe it would have been Andaman Islands yeah. to Cocos yeah. Keeling. I think it was around 18, no, it must have yeah, been 2,200 2, miles or something. Yeah. Just over 2,000 miles. 16 days? Yeah. Yeah, so it must have been like 2,200 or something. Yeah. And that was upwind too? It was everything because we went from the northern hemisphere and the northern part of the Indian Ocean right through the doldrums across the equator and then into the trades. So we had downwind, we had on the beam, we had squalls, we had everything. No wind. It was a mix. I think we put up every sail combination we have on the boat to get through it. Yeah, and then got some pretty bad stuff towards the end too. Yeah. One of the biggest waves we've seen up to, up to that point was towards the end of that sail. So yeah, we saw everything on that sail. Wow. You know, what I noticed for this upcoming season is that when you rounded Cape Agulhas for the second time, uh, it seemed like you're going against the current. Was that a real problem? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the current flows from the Mozambique Channel and then down around the Cape of Good Hope. But there's tactics. So you generally stay inside the current and you talk to it. There's a lot of guys that deliver boats between Cape Town and Durban and the advice they gave us is just stay inshore, stay inside the current, like literally really uncomfortably, uncomfortably close to land because in some places you can actually uh, catch a counter current. So if you get close enough, then you might have like half a knot or a knot with you. Whereas if you were like maybe a mile offshore or two miles offshore, then you, uh, you've got like three or four or five knots against you, which just kills everything. So that's what we did. We just kind of stayed real close into land inside the current, which basically follows the continental shelf. And uh, then when the weather looked good, we zipped across it and just headed east. And that worked out pretty good. I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, I don't think we had any more than one or 
two knots of current against us at any one point, right? I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. And then we went across it, and we got pushed south. But yeah. Then we didn't really go with it or against it. We just went across, so yeah. we didn't feel it too much. When you went across it, it was probably a little more difficult. Yeah, because the the tough thing about going across it is if you're if you get caught out there in that current, and then there's a a southerly or a southwesterly that comes, it can get really steep, really bit big standing waves, kind of similar to how you can experience it in the Gulf Stream, from what I've heard, which people might be a little bit more familiar with. But you know, I think we did get some southerly breezes, but it was only 15 to 20 knots, so it wasn't out of the southwest, it was just out of the south, which wasn't so bad, and we did lose quite a bit of, I think we lost 12 or 13 miles south, but it wasn't as bad as we thought. We were expecting it was going to be a lot more, right? Yeah. We have like five knots of current on the beam coming at you, and you're trying to get across. We thought we were going to go like 100 miles south or something. Yeah, I think we were expecting it to take almost a day or a day and a half to get across, because nobody knows really how wide it is. So in some points it's like, you know, 40 miles wide. In some places you hear it's like 150 miles wide, but you don't really know until you you go for it. And I think we found it to be like what the the really strong part was was like 50 miles, but yeah. then there was like a little bit of current after that. So in total it was yeah 70 or 80 miles wide. Yeah. And only about half of that or something was really strong. Yeah, I think I remember on the video you were you were saying you were surprised to how easy it was that you weren't pushed off too badly. Yeah, pleasantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How fast does it run the Agulhas current? Oh, it can run at the fastest I think we've seen is six knots. Fast. <laughs> it's very fast and it's big, and it, and it moves a lot of hot water from north to south. So it's it's kind of cool. You, you hit some kind of bad weather, I think, in the first couple episodes. You know, it was probably because it's more exciting to have the storm episodes <laughs> beginning on. <laughs> probably not chronologically. So did you port hop along the, the south coast? Are there any ports on South Africa or not really? Is... No, there's, there's a few. Four, five, let's say. Yeah. And that's exactly the tactic you take is you sort of hop between these ports when you get a weather window because there's absolutely no anchoring along the coast. Uh, there's like maybe very few spots, but uh, and they're generally right outside the ports. It's a pretty exposed coast, and so once you leave Cape Town and you get around Cape Point, you have Simon's Town, and then it's like a hundred and... 50 miles to Mossel Bay, or no, it's 200 and something. 220 or 220 to Mossel yeah. Bay, and then it's another 150 to what, East London, or no, no, Port Elizabeth, and then another 180 to East London. I'm probably messing all the miles up, but it's like a day or two runs between these ports, and you just kind of go, go, go when the weather's good, and then pull in, duck in when it gets bad. Yeah, because the weather is, is, I mean, it can be quite predictable in the right time of year, so you can see when you have like a good two day window. But you know after that window there's something gnarly coming up behind you when you're going that way. So like in one of the episodes you probably saw we had to duck into um, India and to Muscle Bay because there was something coming behind us and the, the window wasn't big enough for us to keep going. And that's kind of, yeah, the tactic. You just duck in when there's something coming. Once it passes, you go out and go as far as you can until the next front comes through. The change from last season you had kind of 
you you switched crew and I, I was on your website and noticed that you guys said you had 50 different crew since that you started the voyage that it's pretty you've had a lot of different crew you know I just on my last season or the last last let's say nine months had three different unrelated crew members for different legs of the passage and of course my wife and daughter on on the crew you lost yosh uh, who's kind of been a long-term crew member you also had you had uh max and and frida and also abs maybe you could talk about how you guys got max and frida on the boat so for that passage you know we brian and i was on the boat in thailand right and we were kind of you know planning to go across the indian ocean and we knew it was going to be a lot of long passages and quite rough sailing so we were like you know we want to have more people on board and i at that point you and josh didn't really you weren't sure that you were going to be able to come back so we were kind of debating you know like how many people should we have on board like (laughs) you know and then i talked to my friend frida because uh, she's my friend from uh, kind of high school and then we lived together in London and she was like I want to go sailing <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of met up with them really briefly over dinner in Stockholm and me and Brian were there and you know her and Max were just super keen to come out and they were like we want to do something different something new and we would say awesome come and sail with us for and then the plan was about seven months or something like that yeah, i think it was or like ten that i was like five or six five or six yeah. well, we thought we were going to get to south africa sooner than we did yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah so that was kind of the, the plan and then during the same time we were talking to Babs as well and she was kind of in this space where she really wanted to do something different traveling too so we locked those three in and then you know, we talked to Bray and Josh, and then they were kind of like, oh, we want to come to <laughs> So then all of a sudden, we kind of were a crew of seven, which was really interesting. And, you know, it was it was a very cool dynamic during that, you know, those seven months when everybody was on board. So seven is not your ideal target for number of crew on the boat? Yeah. For this size boat, I mean, we really only have comfortable bunks for six. Yeah, and it, it can definitely work, but I don't think for seven months. <laughs> <laughs> During those conditions, yeah, 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 and yeah, and yeah. <laughs> it, has to, it has to be very special people, and it was very special people for it to work like it did, for it to turn out like it did, you know. Yeah. But I think this, yeah, the size of boat, there's just no place to right. sit, like, <laughs> try to laptop or edit videos. There's no room for anything. There's people just spread out everywhere. Yeah, I would say my boat probably sleeps two unrelated people relatively <laughs> comfortably and uh, maybe we could fit three if we some people share a bunk we we did have three for the marquesas passage but i wanted to ask you karen i i was interested in how you ended up in australia that i know you were going to school there uh, but you're from sweden and and how did you decide that you wanted to go to college in in australia that was actually frida's fault <laughs> not fault but so i was applying to the landscape architecture school in sweden as well and it's really hard to get in in sweden 
and I kind of knew that I didn't really have good enough grades for it. And Frida was, I was talking to Frida, and she was like, "Well, why don't you apply somewhere else in the world, uh, like Australia? Because I'm going to study there, so then we can go there together." So I applied in Melbourne, in Australia, and I came, like they accepted me in Australia, and I passed. And of course, I didn't pass in Sweden. So I was like, okay, Australia it is then. And then one month before uh, we were supposed to leave, Frida was telling me that I probably won't go. <laughs> so then I had the decision, like, should I go by myself or should I not and do something completely different? And I decided to just go for it and try it out. I mean, Sweden will always be there. So I just packed my things and flew to Melbourne and lived there for three years. And it was really, very awesome. I think Frida really kind of, she her great personality came out last season. You know, she was kind of just always smiling, always had something to say, you know. Maybe it was because she was not holding the camera and you guys were always holding the camera, but <laughs> it was it was nice. Uh, I think she did, I guess you would say she did pretty well as a crew member, even though she had kind of no experience, both her and Max. And then this season you got Carmen Dylan and Kirill, and they they were the winners of uh, the Become a Delos Pirate Crew competition. Is that right? <laughs> well, they were some of the winners because we were only going to pick one winner, but then we got all these cool videos, and you know we spent a lot of time watching through everyone and narrowing it down. And then when we got to the end, there's no way we can just pick one. Like the, the first leg leaving South Africa, we had. An entire crew from South Africa, so that was Carmen, uh, Kirill, and Dylan. And then, yeah, they sailed with us until we got to Mauritius. And then, uh, let's see, Camilla joined us there. Yeah. And then uh, in Madagascar, Greg and Cheyenne joined. They were two more winners. Two more winners. And then in Madagascar, also uh, the two German brothers, uh, Uli and Jens joined us which was also two winners so yeah and uh they were they were our patreon supporter winners because we did a special we wanted to make sure at least one of our our patrons was drawn and then in about two weeks actually we have lisa coming from austria uh and she'll be joining us for the sail to namibia okay we're actually not even done yet (laughs) all right okay instead of having people over for kind of the whole season which is kind of I would say that's a function of where you're sailing. Obviously, crossing the Indian Ocean, there's not a lot of places easy to get off. But you're going to have more people instead of just a core group. But I guess that that also is probably a function of uh, the fact that you know you had a relationship with Max and Frida. So yeah, I also think people like a lot of people can't just take like seven months off. Oh yeah, definitely. Everything you know to to find somebody that will come for like maybe one month or something like that. It's 
it's okay. Like people can take that time off work or something. But to find somebody that will stay for that long, uh, it's quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, you know, I do that, right? I have the unrelated crew come aboard. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to find that match of people that can take off any length of time, even two weeks, right? But a month, really, you want at least. And then they can care enough to buy their plane ticket over, <laughs> you know? And then, and then you also are looking for someone that is going to be a good fit, right? It's going to be a good crew member, and that's going to cut out a lot of people that can come, too, so... So what do you guys look for in, in your crew members? What were you looking for this last time and how would you change it next time? For, for me, I was looking for just like a, a lust and passion for adventure. Like sail, sailing experience was totally optional, just the right vibe. We did the video competition, so that sort of implied that you would an outgoing person if you're going to film yourself and put together a little video so that was automatically like a a bar for something i guess in my mind yeah i know i I think it's it's funny because we watched the videos all three of us watched the videos separately and kind of were like okay these are the people who stout to me or these are the people that and we had a lot of the same people and i don't know if there's that one thing you're looking for i think you just watch somebody and you can get quite a good idea of who they are and what they're going to be like even from 60 seconds of video so i don't know yeah i don't know it's just it like somebody just they just look like they'd be fun and they'd be cool and and easy going and we weren't necessarily looking for sailing skills or if they'd sailed before that was that was the bottom of our list we didn't care about that at all it's more about just really meeting an interesting person that could fit into the vibe really well and also for me it was finding people that might not otherwise have have the chance to experience yeah, this. So definitely. if there was somebody that I felt like, wow, you know, there's very little chance knowing what I know about this person that they will be able to sail over a good part of the ocean and to be able to share that with somebody I think is very, very cool and very special. Yeah, uh, you know, I had a crew member that had never sailed before uh, do the, the 3,500 mile passage to the Marquesas. He did excellent. He just you're right he had those features that you were talking about that sense of adventure you know uh he's a he's a rock climber camped out a lot so i'm always looking for somebody that is good with hardship yeah and i think uh like setting expectations up front too you know this is not a a luxury cruise this is not a charter you know you're going to cook you're going to clean you're going to do night watch you're gonna film you're gonna film you're gonna do everything that the three of us do yeah. Uh, we'll help you. We'll show you, but you know, there's no slacking. You're gonna scrap the bottom, you know. So, <laughs> and the people that were like, "Yeah, we're in," then that so that says a lot about it. Yeah. Even if they've never been on a boat before and they're they're enthusiastic about doing that, just that says a lot about a person. You know, one thing that struck me about Chagos when you guys visited was it was so remote that it was just really there was nothing out there. You guys were kind of coming in with really low supplies. It kind of made me want to not go to Chagos. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
but I, you know, I tend to gravitate towards more populated places. I tend to like, I know everybody wants to go out for the remote anchor, or a lot of people want to go out for the remote anchorages. I tend to, you know, want to go where the, the cities are close by the anchorages. What was your favorite part of, of last season? What was your favorite stop? And, and what are you looking forward to next season? Um, I mean, my favorite from last season, I mean, I think, ooh, it's very hard to pick one, but I think Coco's Killing and Madagascar. I mean, Madagascar was special in a lot of ways because we met so many pe- good people there, like good locals, and, and the food was amazing, and just everything that we were kind of missing, I guess, during the passage over, we all of a sudden just it was just there you know the food and the drinks and the parties and the you know amazing culture and all of that but then you know thinking back like Coco's Killing was amazing as well in the way that you know like that is very remote as well but it's a little bit more populated than Chavos (laughs) so you know we met some people and we had you know amazing barbecues and beach and just everything there so I don't know, it's a hard it's a hard pick between those two for me. Which one would you be looking forward to for this one? This next season? What? Well I said your favorite from last season and then this next season. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, I guess. It's hard to think. I I really enjoy the remote places personally. So I like setting up the boat to go for months or longer yeah. at a time and then just being there for a long time. So, yeah, Cocos is cool, Chagos is very special, but in Madagascar, you could actually get both of that because you could find not really a city, but like a village, and you could get food, you could get some internet, you could hang out with other people, and then you could sail two or three hours away and have this amazing anchorage completely to yourself because there's actually not that many people yeah. there's a yeah. lot a lot of deserted islands and a lot of deserted beaches so you can kind of get the best of both worlds and what we did a lot uh this past season is you know we'd go in and we'd stock up in the city we'd come party with some friends hang out and then we'd leave for a week and then we'd just go diving somewhere or you know chill on an island and it's really cool to be able to do that and uh i think for me i'm really looking forward to the caribbean because i don't know that much about it but it seems like there's a lot of cool islands and a lot of cool cultures close together. Um, and from what I've heard, yeah, there's more people at boats, but I've also heard that you can find some places that are a little bit less or more off the beaten path or less off the beaten path. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. Um, but it's like a whole region to explore. So I'm stoked for that. The thing that struck me about the last two seasons, maybe versus kind of the earlier seasons, is that you know you were kind of tropical warm weather sailors and you felt at least at the end of the indian ocean season and then the start of this season it seems like you're you're more adventure sailors right you're all of the above right are you kind of more gravitating towards adventure sailing or are you more interested in going to those warm anchorages i don't know yes sick of being in the tropics all the time at the equator and it's hot all the time and, and I don't know I think you, you need to mix it up and when you start sailing 
south like we did the, the trip, like the, the videos that are coming out now on our way to Reunion Island. We've never done anything like that before, like it in, the, was in the 40s. Cold, it was cold. It was so cold. But it was so beautiful in its own way. It was just as beautiful as anything at the equator would have been. And yeah, I think I think we're, we love both. And I think you have to have both to appreciate the other. Yeah, absolutely. But this year, um, I mean, this year's going to be a very different season. Yeah. It's going to be a very cruisy, like, you know, crossing the Atlantic on the southern side is by all accounts we've heard a very chill sail you know people are like lounging it's like a big spinnaker run <laughs> you're downwind uh, you're headed towards the equator and you know then it's it's warm and it is nice sailing total opposite from our last uh, so it'll be a yeah. cruisy a cruisy year for us i think okay the year coming up that you're you're getting yeah. ready to cross the atlantic to brazil right yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the charts. It did seem like you've got favorable currents if you go up the Namib coast and then you cross there at the equator. So it all seems favorable. Seems similar to the favorable currents you have going to uh, Marquesas. There's no temptation for you to like cross to Brazil and then head south around <laughs> Cape Horn or anything. <laughs> Last night, oh man, I think we've brought this up in the past three weeks. We've brought it up about ten times <laughs> as a joke, but that's how it always starts. That's how going to Madagascar again started. Um, yeah, we keep joking. We're gonna get to Brazil and look north and be like, ah, I don't know if we want to go up there yet. <laughs> and then turn south to Argentina, and then if you're in Argentina, then you might as well just round Cape of Cape Horn, right? Patagonia. Yeah, and then you're in Patagonia and Easter Island, and then back in the South Pacific. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of popular YouTube channels that have done the Indian Ocean, right? You know, but there's kind of a lot of people that have not as big as you guys or uh, some other people, but they've have gone up and down uh, the Caribbean, right? Uh, yeah. Does that weigh in your decision making any or not really? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Like, I think it's it'd be cool to run into some of the other sailing channels and hang out and like see how they do things and just chill. I mean, they're all like like-minded people. So I think we'd probably yeah, get along exactly. pretty well. Like there's um, a, like you said about the Caribbean, a lot of people say, oh, it's gonna be busy and there's a lot of boats, but all of those boats are similar to you in a way. You know, they're just going out sailing. So you, you have something in common with so many people in the same area that we're alone a lot of the time because we're in these remote places. So to be around other cruisers and to have that party atmosphere and meeting people and doing things as a big group of friends is, is appealing for sure. And the distances are small too. So once we get to the south end of the Caribbean, it's like it's in like just over a thousand miles straight line distance to Florida or something. Yeah, I think maybe so. a little bit more. But it's it's not that big for runs. I mean, you can do that in like a week. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So is is there a big uh, cruising community here in Cape Town? Only there's well there's South African sailors and most South African sailors are either racers or they're getting ready to leave on their own cruise because there's actually not a lot of cruising in South Africa because of the lack of anchorages and the, the gnarly weather. Uh, and then the other sailors that you have are the circumnavigators that are coming through at the end of the cyclone season. In the southern Indian Ocean. So they are all leaving now. Right? So, so everybody yeah. right now is leaving 
now, like all of the boats that we've been hanging out with here in the marina and stuff, they're all leaving within, some left a couple days ago, some are leaving this week, everybody's yeah. sort of leaving, but... As, as far as the community, I'd say there's maybe 10, 15 boats or something. In Cape Town? I mean, that have kind of passed through oh. this, this area, or maybe a bit more I, than that, but... I think there's more, we just don't know them all. Yeah, but it's not very big, no. I, I, I heard that there's something like a hundred and... 10 or 120 boats that cross the Indian Ocean every year, give or take. Okay. I don't know how true that is. That's that's just what I heard. But I think that makes sense considering the size of the Indian Ocean Facebook group and all that. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, of course, the ones that you don't know about that just do it and, you know. Yeah, you never see them, never hear from them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, when was the last time you were in a big cruising destination where there was a big anchorage of a lot of other cruisers? Probably Thailand. Yeah. yeah. Like Phuket. Years ago. Cool. Yeah. And you guys love Thailand. Yeah, Thailand's good fun. I'm a big fan of Pad Thai. Tom Thai guy. guy and anything <laughs> Thai, especially like this. Delicious food and cheap massages. It's a great yeah, place. Good theater. I mean, it's cool. You can't go wrong. <laughs> so, was it worth visiting the Andamans for the food? I don't know. The food that was. <laughs> I mean, the experience was, I mean, the food was amazing, though. The chickens were great. Yeah. But I would say more that, I mean, there it's not many cruises that go there. No. And there's not many boats or people that live anywhere outside the city. So, I mean, we were just cruising around by ourselves a lot. And that was quite, and it's no fishing allowed. So, that no was quite. No commercial fishing. Yeah, no commercial fishing. So it was a big difference from coming from like the rest of Asia, where it's just fishing boats yeah. everywhere, and now all of a sudden it's just us. And Coast Guard. Yeah, and Coast Guard everywhere. So you you have your crew members, you put them to work, you you give them a camera, do you do you have them do a lot of editing? I guess you you mentioned you had Kirill editing some stuff. Yeah, yeah, Kirill's been working on some of the episodes that uh, that he was on board for. Editing's tough because it, it takes so much. It takes so long. You're on board for like a month. You know, you don't want the, them to spend their whole time editing, learning the program. Learning the program yeah, right. right yeah, so yeah. Just to learn it, and then you know. So yeah, but if people pick up the camera, just like some basic guidelines, like you know, pick it up, aim it at what you want to shoot, push the button, <laughs> try not to move it around very much, don't shoot into the sun. Think you should be filming it, then you probably should. <laughs> and don't worry, it's all digital. We can always erase it or not put it in if it sucks. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was your scariest part on the boat so far? In terms of like, you were afraid that you guys are gonna sink or something like that. It's probably different for all the. Oh, I don't know. What's I don't know. Just recently, we hit a uh, we hit a reef in Madagascar. Uh, just the past season, it was marked as 20 meters on the charts and it was off and we were cruising you know as we normally do going probably five or six knots Motoring, yeah. and just smashed it and the whole boat just boom and uh then we were off of it again i think we, it was just a one bombie that came up and then we were back in 20 meters of water it was it was terribly scary I was uh, downstairs and everything just flew around. I was making smoothies. What <laughs> shit was that? Yeah, that's really scary. Uh, but it didn't do any damage. It scratched just the there's paint a little bit. Keel, it yeah. Took a little chunk out of the glass and uh, fix that next time we pull out. Yeah, that's always scary. Mm -hmm.
So you can get the rest of that interview if you pledge at least a dollar at patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. I also put up the entire Delos interview uh, with video, because I recorded video, on the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. But I, I will say, for the bonus interview and also for the podcast, I edit the audio more. It's really hard for me and my limited skills to edit audio and video in time. Uh, so the, the version on YouTube is probably not so great in terms of the audio. By being a patron of the Slow Boat Sailing podcast, you can get all the bonus episodes going back to episode 10, our first interview with Sailing SV Delos. And I hope we can talk to them in future years as they continue their round the world voyage. You know, I think the tendency is for folks to look at, you know, the success stories, uh, but not everybody. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of very successful YouTube creators on this podcast who've been putting out great sailing vlogs. You know, in general, they typically have been much younger than retirement age, say much younger than 55 or 65. And, you know, those cruises typically last about two years. And so if you see somebody like Sailing SV Delos, they are the outliers, you know, they are the super success stories. They have created a successful sailing vlog that they've kept up for many years. Uh, very few, even very successful vloggers go beyond two years, uh, in my experience. So the, you know, the, the pre-retirement cruises of the people under, say, 55, those are typically relatively short cruises in the sense that they don't typically last five to 10 years. They typically last less than two years. And so if you are on one of those cruises, uh, then I think you need to take advantage of the opportunity and do the things that you wanna do because don't assume it will last forever. So I've been trying to get Daly to come back onto the boat and that has been very difficult so french polynesia is a rabies free country and i think the communications i have had with the vets and the vet in the agricultural department in tahiti uh, have been very depressing and very discouraging and I'm not aware of anybody that has flown in from LAX airport to Tahiti. So if you know somebody that has done it successfully, uh, give me a call. I've, I'm starting to balk at, at the, or give me an email, linuswilson at yahoo.com. I'm starting to balk at the total expense. I'm about $700 in with vet visits and I have several hundred, maybe a thousand dollars worth of vet bills to go. And there's also a lot of extra layovers and expenses for hotels. So I think the total expense for success would be maybe over $2,000 to get daily back on the boat this summer 
versus putting him in doggy daycare for two weeks while Jana and Sophie visit the boat. I'd love to have him aboard, but I don't I don't know if it's going to work out, and it's maybe hard to fly him back in anywhere in the South Pacific. The key problem is flying the dog into French Polynesia, getting the permission to do so, doing it so obviously they won't kill your pet upon arrival or make you turn around. And I'm not sure that that is actually possible, uh, flying from LAX uh, to French Polynesia, just because they, you know, I, I think government officials in general like to say no, they don't like to take any risks, that their whole, uh, so if they could discourage as many people as possible from bringing their pets into French Polynesia because they, their idea is that if one gets rabies, then that would be awful for their careers. But if they reject everybody, then that would be awesome for their careers. So, so I guess, you know, one of the things that may, has recently made me think about this beyond kind of all the people I've interviewed, but the first person I interviewed was Tate of Sundowner Sales again, and he had a five-year circumnavigation plan, and he ended up selling his boat after two years. And I found that to be really sad. Uh, he's a relatively young guy. I think he's still in his 30s. Uh, he's, he and his wife, Danny, spent a ton of time and money fixing up their West Sale 32 uh, to end up selling it for just a small fraction of the, the value of the man hours that they put into it. Uh, it's just a, you know, a sad thing to hear about. And they, they also had you know, a tremendously successful YouTube channel and uh, all the rest. And I think one of their commentaries about the YouTube was, it was a lot of work for not a lot of reward. But I'm enjoying the channel right now and I can plan to continue it. Changing gears, I recently visited the Southwestern International Boat Show and I gave two talks, one about cruising the Bahamas and one about how to sail around the world part-time. Those seminars are on my Facebook page, Facebook slash Slow Boat Sailing or the Slow Boat to Bahamas if you're looking in the search box and I've made them Facebook live events. I may do a podcast of them, an audio podcast of them, but if you want to hear those seminars, you can go and you'll probably have to scroll down uh, several weeks back uh, to find those Facebook Live events. But that's, for the moment, the only way uh, you can listen to them. I may make them into a YouTube video. Don't have the time at the moment. Those Facebook Live events were on April 8th and 9th. Until next time, have some fun on the water. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.